Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial choices in your life. So it's the new year. That makes you a sitting duck at New Year's resolution time. By one particular industry, the fitness industry. You know, you see those commercials and you see these people that they look so happy. Let me tell you, that person on the stair climber who's smiling happy as could be and looks incredible. Okay, one one million of people, I don't think you got to one ten thousand, can look that happy on a stair climber or any of that other stuff. But we want to be them. We want to look like them. We want to smile like them. And so we're like, you know, all I got to do is I join that gym and everything's going to be fantastic. I'm going to be them. And so the gyms have their uh, commission salespeople that are going to try to get you in some kind of crummy long-term contract. There's good news in this area. More and more gyms are available month to month. If you go back in the Wayback Machine, even as recently as 2017, it was much more common that you would have to sign a terrible, terrible, awful, hideous, rotten contract, typically for two or three years for a fitness center membership. Okay, so let's review. When do you sign a contract with a gym that obligates you for one, two, or three years? Never, 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 not ever. What exceptions? I don't know of any. You don't join a contract gym, period. Guess what they do with their paper? You know what I mean by paper? I don't mean the paper you sign your contract for. That's a finance industry term. So the gyms, first, they're paying the big commission to the salesperson who got you to sign up for, let's say, a three-year deal. Then they take that, what's known as the paper, and they sell your obligation to a private equity company or a loan company or something like that. And then they pay the gym so many cents on the dollar for the value of your contract, knowing that a lot of people are going to default on those, and then they're going to have to hire collectors, and then they're going to kind of ruin your credit, and they're going to have a collection agency that might try to get a judgment against you, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's an incredible nightmare. And so you were trying to get physically fit, and instead you became physically unfit, destroyed your finances and your financial reputation. So, That's why you never, 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 not ever join a contract gym, period. 
So when you join another gym, it's really hard to get your arms around why this gym is $10 a month, this gym is $50 a month, this gym is $125 a month, this gym is $250 a month, and on like that. In major markets now, even across the street from each other, the difference in the cost of a gym from one to another is enormous. I was thinking about it this morning. I was driving down the road and I passed three fitness centers in about, oh, a half a mile. And they're all three, they have different personalities. One of them thinks that it's like an elite kind of fancy private club. And then the other one is a well-known and recognized advertised gym that's a contract one. And then the third one was a Planet Fitness. And what does Planet Fitness cost? Along with several others that have adopted this space, it's about 10 a month for a no-frills membership, and it's about 25 a month for their premium membership. And what's the difference between the no-frills and the premium? Okay, so with the no-frills, you can work out at that location and just yourself. If you go in a premium Planet Fitness one, you can bring somebody with you every time for free. You can go to any location pretty much they've got. If you're traveling or whatever, you're out of town, you see one, you can go to it. And so it's $120 a year plus junk fees or $300 a year plus junk fees. And now there are gyms that are charging as much per month as they do for a year for their premium membership at Planet Fitness. So I want you to know that what you're about is seeing if the gym feels safe, the neighborhood feels safe, the machines look well-maintained, the bathroom doesn't smell, that it's clean, and stuff's in good repair. I mean, what you're there to do is work out. You do not get yourself to work out more if you spend more money on the membership. And my favorite membership is myself because I've talked about my one minute challenge where if you're really sedentary so after you hear this podcast go walk for a minute tomorrow walk for two minutes day after walk for three and walk every single day adding one minute to it till you hit 30 and then after that walk 30 minutes a day what are you going to need then you need a comfortable pair of walking shoes Because study after study finds that just by being active, where you've been inactive, where you've been a couch potato, just by being active on an everyday basis will have dramatic effects on your health. Um, I work out a lot. And for me, it's as mental as it is physical. Now, you want to see somebody who's a machine working out. This lady right next to me, Krista, you're still fit like no one I'll ever meet. I mean, you are incredibly fit. You're always in this competitive thing where you see how you're doing versus other people in a fitness class. I enjoy spin classes, yes, where they have a competitive option. I do enjoy it. My husband and I enjoy going together and competing against each other. 
And who wins most of the time between the two of you? I think he wins most of the time now. It just depends. Plus, some bikes are easier than others. So, you know, I can I can kill him if I get a really good bike. And, and then I like yoga. You know, I like a variety, especially as I'm getting older. And I feel like walking's become way more important, too. So I do enjoy it. And honestly, I do it mostly for my mental well-being. You know, not, I mean, I like the physical well-being, but it absolutely helps me to have a calmer, more collected like presence in the rest of my life and focus. So I I mean, exercise it. for me is the greatest happy pill I could ever take. I mean, it improves my spirit and my mood like you cannot believe. And um, if you ever see me out jogging, my children make fun of me that I jog at the speed of a fast walk and they can walk next to me and just laugh at me. But I'm out there getting fit, and I love it, and I love to walk. I love a lot of different exercise. It's really, really great for your life, but it does not require you to shred your wallet. Please remember that when you see those commercials on TV that you do not need, or on social media, you don't have to just open up and spend a bunch of money to con yourself into thinking, well, if I spend all that money, I'm going to go work out. No, the commitment to work out needs to come from inside you, not from the money you send out to somebody else. Bryce in South Dakota says, I'm troubled by a major brokerage firm such as Fidelity getting involved with crypto trading and making it seem more legitimate, where I see it as a scam that could undercut our whole monetary system. Do you think I should move my retirement funds to a firm that stays away from this? Okay, so Bryce, I was really upset. I used a different word about it when Fidelity announced they were going to allow crypto trading. It was a marketing ploy for Fidelity. I would not abandon Fidelity. I thought it was the height of irresponsibility on Fidelity's part. Crypto is not an investment. Let me repeat that twice more. Crypto is not an investment. Third time, crypto is not an investment. Crypto was a speculative event. The thing about all the scandals involving crypto and all the billions people have lost is that people have missed that behind the curtain, there's a revolution taking place in money management and in management of contracts and so many other things called blockchain. Crypto is just one piece of that puzzle, and crypto will only be real when it's not an investment, but it's a form of money that has a clear, recognizable, stable value. So Fidelity doing this was, uh, I thought, just a terrible jumping in with the parade when that was all the thing, the parade people wanted to be part of, and I wish they hadn't done it. Would I dump Fidelity? For that? No way. Brad in New York says, Hi Clark, I'm getting married this summer and was hoping you could give some suggestions for blending our finances. We want a joint checking account and joint credit cards, but are not sure what banks offer joint checking accounts. Do we close all of our previous personal accounts? Okay, so a lot to unpack here. Almost nobody offers joint credit cards anymore. The banks found it to be uh, not at all a joy when they got caught up in divorce arguments. And so now what banks do is they will offer an account that you own 
and you can designate your spouse as an authorized user is most often what they will do. The authorized user is not legally responsible for the debt run up on that card, but they are allowed to use that card and it's up to the owner of that account to grant or revoke authorized user status. Um, and that's, it's, it's very common that in a married couple or even couples cohabitating, that there will be a card one owns and they make their spouse or partner an authorized user on it. But co-ownership is very rare now. Checking accounts, on the other hand, uh, being co-owners of a checking account, very common. There are different methods of titling a checking account, if you'll use that term title, it's probably not the right term. But anyway, to establishing a checking account that allows both to use that checking account, deposit to it, and withdraw from it. When you're early in a marriage, I do recommend, particularly, Brad, I don't know what age you and your intended are getting married at, what ages y'all are at, but I like it for you, particularly if you've been out in the world for a while living alone, I like for you to have stuff that's yours, stuff that's hers, and stuff that's together. I think it is good to have a house account together. Each have your own account. Closing accounts, I don't recommend. You can just do this where you have each your own stuff and then you have together is what I advise. There will come a time generally in a long-term marriage where you'll decide to just combine, combine. And that's fine. My wife still has her first credit card and I don't get to see it. I don't get to know what's charged on it and I don't pay it. And she likes having that. We've been married 27 years and she still likes having that separate card. Smart lady. <laughs> Let me just say that. Okay. Um, now we're going to take a question from Pam in Connecticut. And she says, my husband froze his sperm before his chemotherapy. I was not involved in it, nor did I sign any paperwork. My husband called to terminate it, but the sperm bank disregarded his call. After he passed away, oh, I received... Oh, first of all, let me interrupt and say, uh, I'm really sorry he lost his struggle against disease. Absolutely. Um, after he passed, I received a bill and called and was told I was all set. Then COVID happened, and six months later, I got a bill plus interest. I called and emailed, as you indicated, by law and to not harass me. I am not paying it as my name was not even involved. How can I stop this three years later and I'm still getting bills? All right. So, Pam, uh, you were not a party to that agreement that your deceased spouse entered into. I don't know if Connecticut is a community property state. Chris is looking that up now. If you were uh, administrator or executor of your late husband's finances, if you were named in the will or you were appointed by the court, they can, they can send you bills as the administrator or executor. They cannot send you bills as spouse unless Connecticut is a community property it state, which not. it is not. It is not. So uh, this is just really not cool with the suffering you have with the loss of your husband 
and it is just totally not okay. And I'm going to give you a crazy suggestion. If there's a, a TV station near you in Connecticut that has one of those on your side kind of reporters or troubleshooter kind of reporters, uh, I mean, picking on a grieving widow, they would love that story and they will absolutely get this stop for you because uh, there's a level of decency they're obviously not honoring and they need to be called to account for it. And I wish you the very best as your life has to move forward without your husband. And I'm sorry about his fight against disease that did not succeed. Coming up ahead, we have another serious topic, and that's fraud. And people ending up being scammed and defrauded. Who's a real target right now is likely going to surprise you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Fraud against the elderly has been a problem for as long as I can remember. So much so that a number of states have passed special statutes that increase the penalties on individuals who perpetrate frauds and scams against the elderly. Because historically, that's who has been hit so much. Well, I want to tell you, there's a new report from the FTC, that's the Federal Trade Commission, which is an old, old consumer protection agency in the federal government that mainly has a bully pulpit to warn people away from things. And the thing that's crazy is that younger generations are much more likely to be scammed now than senior citizens. And there are a number of reasons why. One of the things that's big is online shopping fraud. This is one we hear about routinely, that someone thinks they're buying from a legitimate source, and all that happens is their legitimate money takes a walk, and they get nothing. If they get anything, it's certainly not as represented by the seller. Got to be really careful who you do business with, who you buy from. I think about if I use Frugal, which is Google Shopping, to comparison shop, and I'll see a good deal on an item, and it's a UFO seller. I don't know who these people are. And then I'll dig in, and it's like, oh, wow, people hate these people. And I don't buy there. I mean, taking the extra steps 
to see who it is you're buying from is really important because the amount of fraud with this is so huge and there's big money being lost. The cryptocurrency we were talking about earlier, crypto scams have overwhelmingly affected people in their teens, 20s, early 30s. And people who have worked diligently, let's say in their 20s, building up money in savings to have it vanish in one of these crypto schemes, it's just terrible. Very common today, particularly for people under 40, to be scammed with fake job listings. And you end up giving key personal information that's used for identity theft, or you may be conned into paying money to a crook. Just know that there's a common theme with all these things I just talked about, and I can name others, but repeatedly, what are they? They are scams that originate in some way, form, or fashion, or are executed online. Low-cost frauds perpetrated, not low-cost to you, but low-cost to engineer by the con artist, where the way you're approached is social media, online, or somebody tries to become your friend and over time wins your confidence and steals your money. Over and over again, you were never face-to-face with the thief. The reason the elderly are protected from this is the elderly so often still hold to something old school. They want to know somebody. They want to see them face-to-face. Doesn't mean they don't get scammed by somebody who earns their confidence and rips them off who they meet in real human form. But what makes this era different is the scams are proliferating that target people online only in so many different ways and forms and fashions. Be very careful with influencers. There's some term that's being used now for influencers that rip people off. Do you remember what it is? It ends fluencer, but I forget I don't what know. the first part is. When when I, I'll remember that like three in the morning tonight. I'll say, oh man, it's called, you know, that I can't remember right now. But that's such a big area where frauds are happening with influencers that there's even a coin phrase now in law enforcement for it. Mm. All right. Well, speaking of getting scammed, Jason in Maryland says, you repeatedly say that for a financial advisor, you should use a fee-only fiduciary, but you don't say what recourse you can take if you believe the financial advisor has violated their fiduciary duty. What steps can I take to hold a fiduciary accountable? Jason, this is a terrible problem. It's been written about by barons. It's been written about generally in the financial press that these people who hold themselves out to be fiduciaries and turn out to be anything but. And a fiduciary is somebody who enters into a legal level of requirement that they legally are bound to do what's in your best interest. The reality is it has been nearly impossible to bring consequences down on these individuals who pretend to be a fiduciary and are not. And this is a hard, hard area. One thing that I look for that helps you smell a rat, there is no perfect answer here, but one thing that helps you 
is a real fiduciary is not going to be jumping in immediately saying, oh, I got this great investment opportunity for you. I need for you to do this, that, or the other. A real fiduciary is going to be looking to build a plan for you generally in your life, not what holdings you're going to have. They're going to be looking at your overall picture, a holistic way of looking at your goals in life. They should be talking to you about your family, what your hopes are for each. You got kids, each kid, what your goals are if you're married, you and your spouse, what you hope to do. If you are in a committed relationship, but not a marriage, talking to you a lot about the legal issues that come up in that case, as you grow old together, a true fiduciary is not a stock picker who holds out that they're a fiduciary. It is somebody doing the planning with you. I just want to get back to the question, though. And I would say the SEC would be the place you go because you can file a complaint. Cannot. When it is a uh, most of these situations, the person is a is under state level regulation. Mm -hmm. And most of the states do not have staff to pursue a claim. It is a terrible, terrible problem. And so the SEC they do will a take a complaint from you, mm-hmm. but it's almost like an administrative thing. They're not going to help you. So this is a very hard area and one that does clearly need attention. If you went to Garrett Planning Network, as an example, or XY Planning Network, odds are through either of those channels, the chance you'd find somebody who was conning you extremely low and i think that trying the best prevention is who you hire how you find your way to them up front but yes this problem with people hanging up a false shingle as a fiduciary using that as a way for you to let your guard down and run off with your money big industry problem Steve in Missouri says, I'm a full-time firefighter looking into a possible side hustle for my days off. I've been researching how to become a financial coach. I love personal finance and helping others, so this seems like a perfect fit for me. How does one go into this field? Are there certain online training programs you can recommend? So, Steve, this is very complex. So, when you say a financial coach, that could mean somebody who works with the millions of Americans who are in over their heads with debt. And you'd want to know if that was the angle you were interested in helping people become financially independent again, who were overwhelmed with debt, then I would contact the NFCC, National Foundation for Credit Counseling, nfcc.org, find out how to become certified and work for a legitimate NFCC credit counselor. That would be one strategy. If it's financial, that's a whole different thing. If you want to help people as uh, a life coach or a financial coach, whatever, and that was specifically about helping them with coming up with a plan for their lives, building a proper investment portfolio, all the things I just talked about, that there's, uh, gosh, a couple of hundred designators that make somebody one of those. I would, if it were me, I would, if that was your path, I would go interview people who are, as best we can determine, legitimate in the field, like a Garrett planner or an XY planner, and talk to them, how did they get trained? 
What do they recommend to you? What education do they feel you should have? And I would follow a path that is recommended by somebody who's successful doing this and is doing it as a fiduciary, where there'd be no doubt and no issues that what you're doing is done in the right way to serve the people you want to be a financial coach to. And Patrick in New York says, I'm turning 30 soon and I've been lucky enough to earn some financial assets. In the event of an accident or legal action, are my 401k house and property safe from seizure? What steps do you recommend taking to protect my assets? Right. So uh, this is what I call, Patrick, a success tax. And it's where you buy an umbrella policy. It sits on top of your homeowner's insurance, whatever you said you own property, whatever, I I don't know if that means uh, rental property or whatever, but an umbrella policy is an excess liability insurance policy. They're relatively cheap for what you get. They're sold in multiples of a million, uh, $1 million worth that sits on top of the liability coverage you already have as a homeowner tends to cost a couple hundred dollars more or less depending on what the rates and competitive nature is in your state, the state of New York. And depending on over time, as you develop more and more assets, you increase the amount of umbrella coverage you have. And it is something very, very important for people that are developing good savers, good investors, developing a lot of assets. Your 401k itself, though, is almost never subject to seizure because of a liability issue you are facing. Depending on the state, IRAs may be subject to seizure based on certain court actions. But the 401k, you don't really have to worry about about a liability risk of somebody getting to it. And Patrick, that's a good bill to pay. Because if you have to buy an umbrella policy, it means you have worked really hard in your 20s to hit 30 and have a lot of assets. And I wish you continued success as you continue your journey to financial independence. I want to thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed our podcast, please share it with a friend. And I hope that if you enjoyed it, you'll be willing to review us. You know how podcast sources you can review, and I'd love it if you reviewed and let us know if we're serving you well. Have a great day.